You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Visit our website and learn more about Harvest Partners at harvest.org. We must run to win in the race of life. Run for first place, not for honorable mention. Coming up today, Pastor Greg Laurie points out how this life is compared to a race, and we need to do our very best to give it our all until the very end. There's winners and losers in a race, and there's winners and losers in the race of life, and we should go for the goal. Silver's good, so's bronze, but definitely give it your best effort. Run in such a way that you will win. This is the day when the lost are found. gym, there are people there who are just getting it done. A certain number of reps, a certain duration of time, and then they're done. They're out of here. And then there are others who push themselves, and they give it their all, and it shows. Well, today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out this life is too important to muddle through. The Lord wants us to run this race with endurance and to run this race to win. We'll learn more about how to do that in Acts. So now we're in Paul's third missionary journey. God is using him powerfully and miracles are happening. Acts 19 verse 11 says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Stop there. So The emphasis is unusual miracles. These are not your normal miracles. Actual garments that have touched Paul are now being used by God to heal people. There was no healing power in something Paul wore. But it seems that in the minds of the people there was sort of a faith release, if you will, where they thought, if I just touch this shirt that Paul wore, this robe or whatever it would be, I too will be healed. We see a similar situation and the story of the woman with a medical condition causing her to constantly bleed. And she reasoned, if I can touch the very edge of the garment of Jesus, I will be healed. Now Jesus didn't say that. He didn't promise that, but she thought that. And sure enough, he's walking through a crowd of people. She reaches her hand through, she touches his robe, and suddenly the healing power of God is released in her life, And she's healed right there on the spot. But it's interesting to note how Jesus healed different people. Sometimes they touched him, like the woman I mentioned. Other times he touched them. Other times he spoke the word and they were healed. On one occasion, uh, a person was blind. He spit in the dirt and wiped the dirt with his spit in the guy's eye. Here's mud in your eye, buddy. Wow. Wow. Now what would you think if you came and asked me for prayer and I spit on the dirt? What would you, oh no. You're not gonna pray for me that way, are you? But the point is that the techniques, if you will, varied so people would realize it's not in the technique, it's not in the garment, it's not in the touch. It's from God himself. And by the way, God is still in the healing business. 
And when we need a touch from the Lord, we should call out to the Lord and ask him to heal us. Okay, so whenever God is at work, the devil will be there to oppose. So the devil effectively enters the scene through a group of guys identified as the seven sons of Sceva. So this man Sceva has seven sons and they fancy themselves to be exorcists. They think they can cast demons out of people. But they were not the magnificent seven. They were the foolish seven as we see now in the story because they thought the name of Jesus was like some kind of an incantation or magic words if uttered would heal people. Go to Acts 19 verse 13. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence they fled from the house naked and battered. Wow. Don't mess with demons. So there's three takeaway truths from this little story. Probably more, but here's three quick ones. Number one, Satan is real and powerful. And demons are real and powerful. And people can still be possessed by demons today. And it's interesting that this uh, man who was possessed by the demons had supernatural physical strength. I mean, he takes on seven dudes and they leave the house stripped of their clothing and just running for their lives. We see this same thing illustrated in that man who was demon-possessed who lived at the graveyard and at night he would walk around shrieking and howling and they put him in chains and he broke the chain. So the devil is powerful. Uh, Never take the devil on in your own strength. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, stand in the Lord and in the power of his might. Number two, the power of Jesus is much stronger than the power of Satan. Because it's kind of scary to think how powerful the devil can be But it's really encouraging to know that Jesus is way more powerful. Way more powerful, right? Jesus said, all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So we serve an all-powerful God. And the third thing is the best defense is a good offense. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the problem with the sons of Sceva is they had no relationship with God. They just, oh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and I, the demon's response is almost humorous. Uh, Jesus, I definitely know. Paul, I know, but who are you? Um, it reminds us that the devil knows those who are a threat to his kingdom. So he knows, oh, that person, that man, that woman, they're a problem, they're a threat. I'm gonna focus my energies on them. Remember when Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has been asking excessively for you that you would be taken out of the care and protection of God? Would that freak you out if Jesus said that to you? You're just hanging out. All of a sudden he turns to you, says your name twice. Satan has been asking for you by name. Maybe he paused for a moment, Peter's shaking in his sandals. But then the Lord adds these words, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So yeah, the devil may come asking, but Jesus is gonna answer the door. Okay, so so don't worry about it. But if you're a threat to the kingdom of Satan, 
the demons will be aware of you as they were in this story. Uh, after this, Paul is preaching a sermon. He's going pretty long. He's preaching till midnight. So don't ever complain about me going like nine minutes too long, okay? <laughs> it's midnight and he's still going. And there's some guy named Eutychus on the third floor of the building Paul was in, sitting on the windowsill. Eutychus nodded off, fell out of the window to his death. Someone says, Paul, you, this Eutychus just died. He fell out of the window. Paul said, he's okay. He's just sleeping. Take me to him. They go over. Eutychus is dead. Paul raises him from the dead. And then like any self-respecting preacher, what does Paul do after that? He finishes his sermon. He still had a few more points to cover, right? So there's that amazing story. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. Hey, everybody. I want to encourage you to check out the new Harvest Plus app. It's on Roku, Apple TV, and Google Play, among others. And you can stream incredible content on all major platforms for free. You're going to find live events, our evangelistic films like A Rush of Hope, Johnny Cash, A Redemption of an American Icon, Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, and our newest film, Fame. Plus, our TV programs, our podcast, Harvest at Home, and a lot more. Stream it all on any device for free using the new Harvest Plus app. You're joining us today for Pastor Greg's most requested study of the past year, How to Live a Meaningful Life. Now we shift gears uh, in the story as we come to Acts chapter 20. As I said, Paul is saying goodbye to these leaders. You know, it's worth noticing that this is the only teaching sermon in the book of Acts. All the other sermons that were preached were evangelistic in nature. But in this particular message given to the elders at Miletus, a little seaport there, uh, he is giving final words to followers of the Lord. And so let's pick it up, Acts 20, verse 17. When we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know from the day I set foot in this province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lay ahead. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Five categories Paul identifies that we are in, things that we're doing. First of all, Paul compares himself to a runner in a race. So I want to finish this race, he says, with joy. This was a favorite analogy of the apostle, the idea of running a race. He used it many times in his writings. For instance, over in 1 Corinthians 9.24, 
he reminded us that we must run to win in the race of life. He said in a race everyone runs but only one person gets a prize. Uh, you should run in such a way that you will win. Run to win. Like, run for first place. Uh, not for honorable mention. You know in schools today or in athletic events they'll give participation trophies. <laughs> this is not good. There's winners and losers in a race. And there's winners and losers in the race of life. And we should go for the gold. Silver's good, so's bronze. But definitely give it your best effort. Run that race to win. Then he also warns us about getting off track in the race of life when he writes to the believers in Galatia. And in Galatians 5.7 he says, you guys were running a good race. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? So you know, when we're running this race, try to run with people that have the same passion that you have. Let me put it another way. Hang around with godly people and do godly things. Don't hang around with ungodly people which will lead you to do ungodly things. Psalm 1 says, happy is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in God's word. So there are godless people, scornful people, people that will slow you down in the race of life. So it's a good thing to periodically evaluate relationships you're engaged in. And this is a big one for you guys that are single. Uh, you know, when you're looking for someone to spend the rest of your life with, look for a godly man or a godly girl. Someone who inspires you. Uh, years ago, I told my wife before we were married, uh, when she was, she wasn't even my girlfriend yet. But uh, we were getting close. And I, I said this really romantic thing to her. I said, Kathy, if you ever get in the way of my relationship with God, you're out of here. Wow. <laughs> you're thinking that was the craziest thing you could have said, Greg. Fact of the matter is, that's the best thing I could have said to Kathy Martin. That was her name then. She said, I was looking for a guy who had conviction, a guy who knew where he was going in life. I wasn't looking for a guy that I could manipulate. Ah, admission. Sometimes girls manipulate guys. It happens. Anyway, I was thinking for a godly man. So, you know, the idea is that we should spend our time with people that will encourage us. Here's sort of a way to think about it. Of this relationship, of this pursuit you're involved in, is it a wing or is it a weight? Does it help you go faster like a wing or does it slow you down like a weight? So don't let someone else cut in on you. Paul also warns in Philippians 3 about looking back in the race of life. You know, you gotta look forward. It's a bad idea to look over your shoulder. That half of a second could cost you the race. You know when you're driving on the freeway and have you ever noticed that if there's a cop, a CHP, driving ahead of you, you always slow down. No one wants to pass the CHP, right? And even if they're under the speed limit, you go under the speed limit. If they slow down to 20, we'll all slow down to 20, right? Sometimes I think they do that just to mess with us. I wonder if I go slower, if they'll all go slower. And, uh, but the problem is sometimes if you're driving and you look in your rearview mirror and you see a police officer driving behind you, you, you know, you get focused on that and you're not paying attention to where you're going. In the race of life, you gotta always be looking forward and not looking backwards. Because the first step to going back is looking back. Remember Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Three words. 
remember Lot's wife. Why should I remember Lot's wife? Because after she was delivered by the angel of the Lord from Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife along with Lot and their children were warned, don't look back. And she deliberately looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in the race of life, keep looking forward, not looking backwards. And then Paul says, I want to finish this race with joy in verse 23. I love that. Not just finish the race, finish the race with joy. I have never felt joy when I'm running. <laughs> I've only felt pain. But he goes, I want to finish this with joy. So I've been running this race for over 50 years now. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. It is a joyful thing to serve God. I love it. Don't lose your joy. After he sinned, David said in Psalm 51, a, a psalm of confession, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and then sinners will be converted to you. Isaiah 55 says, you shall go out with joy, you'll be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And then we're also told in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul says, I want to finish this with joy. Do you have joy? Do other people see that joy in your life? It's really important. Again, what David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then sinners will be converted to you. A non-believer sees you having joy, not just when things are going well, but when things are going badly, that's a powerful testimony. Paul also uh, points out that as we run the race of life, we need to play by the rules. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I discipline my body like an athlete training to, to do what it should. Otherwise my fear is after I preach to others, I'd be a hypocrite and I would be disqualified. So when you enter into a race or whatever it is, there's rules. These are the rules. Do you agree to play by the rules? Yes. I read about one guy that entered a marathon and uh, he agreed to play by the rules. And they noticed that when the race was coming to a close, this guy comes across the finish line, no sweat. He, he was just acting like he had not done anything. And he won the bronze and someone complained and they found out the guy had started the race, ran through the forest, got on a bus, went to the place where the race ended, got off the bus and then ran across the finish line. Needless to say, he was disqualified. So we gotta play by God's rules. That's the way to do it. And we want to run all the way because it's not just starting this race well, it's finishing this race well. I have found that the best way to run well in the race of life is to have a good motivation. Why am I doing it? What is my objective? And the author of Hebrews, many think it was Paul, I would think that too, but we don't know for certain. But the author of Hebrews tells us the secret. He says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let's lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of God. So that's how you, you look to Jesus. I don't run this race for people. I don't run it for applause. I don't run it for 
likes on my social media. I don't run it for any of those things. I started it this way and I hope to end it this way. I'm doing it for Jesus and that's what will keep you going no matter what you're facing. Because people will let you down. People will disappoint you. Circumstances will overwhelm you. Just keep your eyes on the prize and specifically keep your eyes on the Lord. In fact, that's what kept Jesus going. Because it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before Jesus? The apostles were pretty much in hiding. John was present at the cross, but most of the others were hiding in the shadows. Peter even denied him. The crowds were jeering him, insulting him. But something kept Jesus going. It was a joy set before him. And folks, the joy was you. It was me, it was us. It was knowing that our salvation would be purchased through his death on the cross. So we're a runner in a race. Great encouragement to keep us going in the Christian life. Pastor Greg Laurie with number one in our list of top 10 most requested studies of the year here on A New Beginning. A great insight for believers today, Pastor Greg, but what about the person listening who's never come to that point of entering into a relationship with the Lord? Hmm. They're open to it, but they just need to know how to go about it. You know? Well, they just need to hear more. They need to hear what the essential gospel message is. And I've got a great resource for you. We've set up a webpage that's called knowgod.org, K-N-O-W-G-O-D dot O-R-G. You go there. I have a video presentation of how you accept Christ, lead you in a prayer, and then it links to other spiritual resources that will help you grow spiritually. So just go to knowgod.org. Do it right now. Have you contacted us for a copy of Pastor Greg's new book, As It Is in Heaven? It's full of great insight on the afterlife and what's waiting for us in eternity. Uh, Pastor Greg, uh, to what extent do our loved ones in heaven uh, know what's going on with all of us uh, down here on earth? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It's one I've studied very carefully because my son, Christopher, who has been in heaven now for many years— I wonder, is he aware of anything that's happening down here on earth? Now, one answer people will give is no. They know nothing about what's going on on earth. I don't think that's completely accurate, actually. I do believe that people in heaven are aware of some things happening on earth. Example, Jesus said there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that comes to repentance. That means that when someone comes to Christ on earth, there's rejoicing in heaven. So that shows a heaven-earth connection. Wouldn't it be interesting if maybe we found out that someone we'd shared the gospel with came to Christ after we'd gone unto heaven, and there was that victory shout in glory, and, and we realized that was a result of something we'd done. Also, you know, there are rewards given out in heaven, rewards for faithfulness, or rewards for obedience, rewards for resisting temptation. What do you think you're going to have a complete brain wipe when you get to heaven? If you're giving a reward in heaven for something you faithfully did on earth, obviously you remember something about the life before. But do people in heaven know what's going on down here? They may. 
In the book of Revelation, we read of believers who were martyred for their faith. And when they get to heaven, they say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? So these believers are aware of the passing of time because they say, How long, O Lord? They're aware of people still on earth that have sort of gotten away with this, and they're wondering when God's judgment will be meted out to those people. So there are these connections, you see. Hmm. Now, I don't know if they're following our every movement. I'm sure they have other things to do, like <laughs> worship the Lord and enjoy all the glories and, and treasures and pleasures of heaven. But having said that, I do think there is some connection, and they are aware of some things. So I've written about that and a whole lot more in this book called As It Is in Heaven. It's a book that answers your questions about the afterlife. Questions like, what is heaven? Where is heaven? Why is there a heaven? What will I do when I get to heaven? Uh, Will I eat in heaven? Will I see people in heaven? Will we recognize one another in heaven? I deal with this and a whole lot more in this book, As It Is in Heaven. And I would love to send it to you so you can learn more about your future destination. That is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so, for your gift of any size this month that you send, I will rush you your own copy of As It Is in Heaven so you can learn more about the afterlife that will enable you to live a godly life now. Yeah, that's right. And it'll help prepare you to answer questions unbelievers may ask, or questions your kids or grandkids ask. So get in touch for the book, As It Is in Heaven. And we won't be mentioning this much longer, so contact us soon. We'll send it to thank you for your investment in the work we do here sharing the gospel each and every day. Our phone number is 1-800-821-3300. You can reach us anytime, 1-800-821-3300, or just go online to harvest.org. And by the way, Pastor Greg talks more about what's waiting for us in the afterlife in a new podcast available right now at harvest.org and on the Harvest Plus app. Look for the title, As It Is in Heaven, a new podcast at harvest.org, the Harvest Plus app, and on other podcast apps. Well, next time, we'll return to Acts chapter 20 for more insight on how we can live a meaningful life. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to A New Beginning. This is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. So for more content that can help you know God and equip you to make Him known to others or to learn more about how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.